welcome to the FPA's podcast. Assembly Point provides a collective space in which industry leaders can explore the most pressing issues in fire safety and share expert information and advice. Join us for the 2023 summer series as we hear from some of the most respected figures in the industry and continue to move the debate on fire safety forwards by identifying ways to work together to improve standards. Please be aware that the views expressed by guests are their own and not necessarily those of the FPA. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello everybody, welcome to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast, the first in Series 3. I'm Chris Miles, Commercial Director at the FPA. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Morell, OBE. Paul was the UK government's first chief construction advisor from 2009 to 2012. And in April 2021, Paul was appointed by the then housing secretary, Robert Jenrick, to chair an independent review of current systems for the testing of construction products, obviously in the the wake of the Grenfell Tower fire. The review's final report was published just a couple of months ago in April 2023, entitled Testing for a Safer Future, an Independent Review of the Construction Products Testing Regime. It contains numerous recommendations on the testing of construction products, some of which we'll explore in the next 30 minutes or so. Having supported the review myself in in my previous capacity as lead for the UK approved bodies, I can say that it's very hard to disagree with any of the recommendations in the report. From the government side, in response to the report, Michael Gove, Secretary of State at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities stated, we recognise that more needs to be done and are carefully considering the recommendations put forward by the independent reviewers. He committed to set out our proposals for reform of the UK's construction product testing regime in due course, building on the work of this review. So potentially a very important document when we're thinking about testing of construction products. Just just by the way, the report can be downloaded from the, the government website. That's gov.uk forward slash government forward slash publications. Paul, thank you for bearing with me on the introduction and uh, welcome and thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for asking. I've, I've heard you say fairly recently that the objective of the review is to restore the outcome of the conformity assessment process as a trusted public good. Given that I've spent much of my long now career working towards proving compliance as part of the conformity assessment process, and that myself and many, many others have have strived for the highest standards, why do you believe that the conformity assessment process has fallen short of what we, and, and as I say, you, would specifically hope for? Well, yes, it's not just me, of course. Uh, and indeed, in one of the uh, submissions made by government to the Grenfell Inquiry, they actually suggested that the inquiry should consider the possibility of collusion in the way the process is conducted. So there has been a breakdown. Uh, it, it's probably fair to say that that, that that comes from two directions. I think, first of all, a lot of false claims have been made from products. I think we can say that much without, without uh, challenging the independence of the inquiry. Things have been marketed in a way which is either deliberately misleading or allowing people to be misled. And all of that noise, which has nothing to do with the conformity assessment process, but has to do with the way that uh, 
products that are, are marketed thereafter has kind of reflected across the whole the whole system. And it's worth saying that it is a system and that testing is only one small part of the, the, the uh, conformity assessment process. So a lot of noise has been made ar around behaviours that have nothing to do with those whose business is actually testing products and indeed confirming their conformity uh, to their standards. But there have been some, some more egregious examples of poor practice that have come out in the in the inquiry. <clears throat> in the appendix to the report, and appendix to the report, uh, we've listed out the allegations made in the course of the inquiry that relate to products uh, at, at various stages to the product's life cycle. And the, the line that we've taken is, it's not necessary for us to say whether those things are true or not. If they are capable of being true, we should try and fix them. And there, there are practices of people not keeping clear records of what they've tested, not observing test panels in a way that confirms that uh, the results they get are based on the specification that's being offered, poor tracking of samples and so on, and poor record keeping. So that there are clear examples of, of poor practice, which again, if they're true, uh, should be eliminated from the system. So there has been a breakdown of trust, which is uh, the understandable consequence of the Grenfell fire. And as I say, my starting point really was not a great deal of what goes wrong goes wrong in the testing process itself, but it's, it's, it's the way that that information gets used or misused thereafter, which I think is fundamentally un, un, undone trust uh, in the sector. It's interesting we focus on the testing, that's kind of the headline and that's what the report's titled, but there's, as, as you said yourself, it, it isn't just testing, it's part of a whole wider system of of compliance, of approval, however we want to talk about it. And just the actual switching on of a, of a fire test furnace or something else is a very small part of the of the overall regime to prove conformity. I'm not sure that was altogether understood, by the way, but um, uh, in government, you know, it has all been kind of translated as being about testing. And as I say, I think a very, there have been some bad examples, but a very small part of what we need to deal with actually is in the testing process itself. Yeah, as I said, I've, I've had a, a long career working in testing and, and conformity. And I, I know from my perspective, there's very, very few, if any, that I can think of now from memory, certainly none that I can think of where if I look back and say we'd have done that differently. That's not true of everybody. And I don't want to be holier than that. But the processes leading up to the test and after the test have to be part of this, not just the actual what goes on in a, in a laboratory, not just that aspect. And I think generally one would expect the approach of the, of the major testing houses to be professional. You know, I, I've, I've spent the whole of my working life as a professional. Uh, and if what I said could not be trusted, either to be true or to be well considered, then my business was over. I think for the most part, that's the, the same situation with, with the testing houses. So although it's very easy to point the finger and say a manufacturer plays for the results, for, for a test and therefore gets the results they want. No testing house with, with, with an eye on its long-term health could afford to say, give us the right sum of money and I'll give you the right kind of result. I, I just don't think that's a, a, a proper view of, of the sector. Uh, indeed, I think it's a, it's a naive view, but it's, it's one that I guess plays to the public gallery. Mm -hmm. I, th I think that's a whole difference, uh, a big difference between being corrupt, I guess is what you're intimating there, and being perhaps a bit lax or a bit laid back or maybe not as competent or as thorough or professional as perhaps you should be. That's a big difference. 
it is. Uh, it, it probably doesn't make much difference to the victims of the process if it's wrong. I, I get a sense, and I've no evidence for this, but it, it's a more instinctive feeling after consequence of talking to a lot of people, you know, more than way over 100 interviews over the course of the period of looking at the report. I suspect what might might be happening is that people have been taking on jobs they shouldn't really have taken on. You know, and, and one of the measures of a really successful, a, a, a properly professionally motivated business is you don't do what you're not qualified to do. And I, and I think, although I don't think anybody said, give me the money and I'll give you the answer you want. I think some people may have said we could we could take a fee for doing this work. And we, you know, when they shouldn't really be doing the work at all, they don't have they don't have the skills or they don't have the, the methodologies and so on. And I, and I think some of that might come out of the detail of the Grenfell inquiry. So it, it's not it's not collusion or corruption, but it, it, it is unprofessional. I've got a very simple question to, to follow on. Very simple question, but probably a very complex answer. What needs to be what do you, in the in the reviews opinion? What needs to be put in place to ensure that procurement of a supposed compliant product is reliable and, and that compliance that it claims is, a, it is trustworthy and it does exactly what it's intended to do? I think there are three elements to that. You know, I, I've not really managed to produce a report with the three big things that politicians are always looking for. But as far as product by product is concerned, I think there are three components of an effective system. And in every one of them, I would say there's a bit of a difficulty. Uh, the first one is standards, you know, standards that deliver what we want. And one of the, I think, unpopular conclusions of the report when asked to consider the UK system of testing products for safety is that there is actually no such system. We don't have a UK system for testing products for safety. We have a system which we've brought in lock, stock and barrel from uh, the EU. And this is not a Brexit, anti-Brexit point, it's just a, a fact. We brought a system in that's been designed over a very long period of time in Europe. And basically what that does is, is test whether products comply with standards that have been accepted across Europe, so-called harmonised and now designated standards. They may or may not deliver safety. It, it isn't always their primary purpose. The, the main purpose of that system was to have a level playing field for uh, a single market. Um, and in the absence of a, of a single market now, I think we're expecting the system to do uh, probably too much. It's, it's being used for things it wasn't really designed for. But, but the first thing, therefore, has to be standards that deliver what we want. So we need to look at those things which are particularly related to safety and most particularly fire safety and say, are they fit for purpose? Uh, and there has been, as referred to in the report, there has been some research done by done for government that says some of the critical standards are not fit for purpose. And that's probably also going to be the conclusion of the scientists advising the Grenfell inquiry in some respect. So first of all, standards that deliver what we need. And those standards need to be both for the product and for the testing of the product. So the second thing, therefore, is a, a, a conformity assessment process that genuinely established compliance. Because certainly my experience is that having never encountered any of this stuff in the 75 years I've been alive and whatever it is, 55 years in the industry, I found myself dealing with an entirely new language and suspecting that those who design and build buildings are quite separate from those who write standards, test products and confirm their compliance. And there's, there's a lack of understanding between the two parties. And you can hardly uh, serve a duty of care if you don't understand it in the first place. So that's the second thing, is, is, is a really effective system for, for assessment. And the third thing clearly is, is, is what Dame Judith calls the chain of custody, that you must be confident that what you are 
placing on site is what has been tested. The product's what it claims to be, uh, that it will meet its claims and continue to meet its claims. And you need the information that is necessary so you can treat it safely, install it safely and get it maintained safely thereafter. So I think those are the elements of the system. And there's, there's one critical extra to that uh, before we get to long, longer term learning, which is an effective system of oversight and compliance and enforcement. Uh, more than one product manufacturer said to us in the course of our conversations, can you please try compliance first? Uh, and I think that's a fair complaint. And it is really a complaint. As far as we can find out, nobody has ever been prosecuted for a breach of the construction products regulation. And it, it has been news to government probably, and I've certainly made it very clear to ministers. My powerful feeling again from these, from these meetings that people actually don't want to cheat, but nor do they want to compete with people who can cheat. Uh, and it's it's a shame if people start to let their ethics drift a bit in the force of competition and the so-called drive to the bottom. It'd be much better if, if they weren't tempted to do so in the first place. So, so we need to get people, bad actors, out of the game altogether so that good actors continue to do the job in the way they should. So those things, standards that work, testing method with compliance with that standard, uh, a chain of custody to make sure that all the way through the life cycle of the product, what you've learned in the testing process remains valid and gets delivered, and, and then some uh, oversight and enforcement. When we, we talk about compliance, you said one of the manufacturers, can you try compliance first? You meant before a, a big stick to beat them over the head with. Yes, and I think probably they mean before any kind of reform as well. I think reform is necessary. Uh, but of course, no industry likes wholesale reform when it's got used to working in a particular way and it's invested in, in certain systems and so on. So I think it, it was also seen as an alternative to, to a change in the regulatory environment. But above all, no change will work either unless there's some, some proper attempt at enforcement and, and, a, and a sense that there will be a sanction. You, you've talked about systems and products, and I think the report looks at products when products are used in in systems, and I'm sure that's something that gets overlooked. How do you think a product manufacturer that makes a product for use in in other systems can play their part when it's not them that's placing the final product on the? I'm thinking of I don't know fire stopping or something like that 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 gets used by somebody with a skeleton gun to seal around a a pipe or a, 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 a cable, it's that final system that's doing the job, not just the, the sealant in that in that cartridge. Yes, and people can't always be expected to know every way their product might get used, and they, they certainly can't manage that. So I, I think the, the, the breakout from that, and, and to a degree the, the, the CCPI code, the CPA's code on product, product information, starts to address this, which, which is what the product manufacturer must do is be absolutely clear about what product is suitable for, what it's being tested for, what has to happen, how it has to be treated so that its safe use continues right through its life cycle, how it has to be handled and stored and transported and fundamentally then installed. So clear instructions as to all of those things upon which the original assessment process is conditional. You know, this product will perform in this way as long as you do these things. So there must be clarity about those things and there must be honesty about those things. And must neither be deliberately misleading as to as to how the product can be used, nor nor allow knowingly allow the market to be misled, which might be a bigger risk in many ways. So that's about information. Information going right down with the product, 
until it reaches its final destination. I think the limitations of a product and, and any implications of using it in, in circumstances or in combinations uh, for which it's not suited or designed. Yeah, I think many people have said to me that the whole system of, of testing and approval falls down when you get to a, a plumber or a joiner on site that doesn't understand and doesn't appreciate what how they use that product to put it into the system. And that kind of is is not catered for in our system right now. I know we're working towards improved competence all the way through from, from design to ongoing maintenance, but that's... An aspect which is really, really difficult, I think, to to to, to tidy up and to to make robust. It is, but that that's in danger of turning into what nowadays gets called a what aboutery argument, isn't it? You know, about the, you should make your product safe. Well, what about what happens when it gets to site? You know, uh, that still doesn't make the first half of that sentence valid. You should still make sure your product's safe and, and let it and how it, how it can be used safely. But fundamentally, and the reason this is exercise is more complicated than people understood, you know, we, we are talking two systems here. We're talking a, a, about uh, the whole system of conformity assessment, of which testing, as we've already said, is only one part. But we're also talking about products, you know, as part of a series of assemblies all the way through to, to a whole building and, and how those might work. Uh, and we just need to follow that right the way through. And I think that, you know, one of the critical breakthroughs here has to be we can't describe every situation in which every product might be used and or indeed every product that might come on in the future. You've heard me talk before about while we were doing the report, someone someone launched a, uh, an insulation product made of popcorn. I can't contemplate any world in which somebody would have thought, well, don't forget we need a rule for popcorn. So, so how do you deal with that? And I think in this respect, I came full circle during the, during the drafting of the report on the whole idea of a general safety requirement. Uh, I saw it originally as a kind of convenient you know, hold-all or catch-all, which in many ways was, was as a kind of policy cop-out. But on reflection, I think it could be the key to simplifying the system uh, and, to, and to making it work throughout. So if you have a general safety requirement and you have particular rules for safety-critical items, and we might come back to that, and you have duties as principal contractor and principal designer, principal contractor, and the accountable person who runs the building. If you have clarity of all of those duties, then it seems to me the question that would land in boardrooms would be, what have you done to demonstrate a reasonable skill and care in, in meeting those duties? I think if I was sitting in a boardroom of a, of a product manufacturer or a contractor or a developer or building owner or designer, I would want an answer to that question. And although answering it in full uh, represents you know, probably a five or ten year program. A lot of work's already been done about some products, some installations, some assemblies and so on. You know, just a product, but how you can install it safely so it works and, and right the way through. Uh, and unless we, we deal with the whole of that product life cycle, we certainly won't have addressed the problem. But I think we can do that. Uh, and uh, it, it wouldn't be an attractive response for any part of the supply chain to say, well, it's not about my bit, it's about their bit. Uh, and what about this and what about that? It, so product manufacturers should think, how do I demonstrate that my product is safe? Do I t is there a standard? Is the standard fit for purpose? Is there a way of testing it? Should I test it? What kind of analysis demonstrates that I need to test it? How often should I test it? Should I keep testing it during its life? What are the criteria for deciding that? You know, th these are questions which we may be expecting government to answer. We would be disappointed. 
if there's somebody who can answer those questions in Whitehall, I've not met them. This has to be for the industry now to say, be clear about, be clear, government, about what our duties are. Be clear about addressing the market failure of, of compliance and enforcement. And let us sit down now as an industry, um, which is the least we owe post-Grenfell, to work out what we think being safe means. And then what being safe to critical means. Because I think we do, we do need, I think we do need the two levels in so far as if we simplify the system and say, rather than go through all these five levels of, of the AVCP system, the testing and compliance system, at the lower level, you decide what you need to do to demonstrate your product safe. And you rely upon that duty uh, as, as a statutory obligation, then indeed as a civil obligation, which most serious businesses will take very seriously. On the other hand, if the consequences of failure are catastrophic, then it's not enough to say it was clearly X's fault. You, you want to prevent that. So you need a higher level of duty of care around things that might cause real harm, which are, of course, for the most part, not products, but products in assembly. And again, the industry can say these are the things, you know, it's, it's, if you look through the A uh, approved document B, for example, you know, there are three categories of, of, of stuff about which obligations are set out in the ADB. You know, there there is compartmentation, which I would say must be priority one, because uh, I remember being told during the course of the exercise that there's a, there's a fire in a tower block every day in London, but most of them you and I never hear of because they're extinguished within the flat and, the, and all the compartment holds. So compartmentation. What products go into a compartmentation? What are the standards for those? Do we know how to handle them? Do we know how to assemble the whole thing to keep it safe? There's then a whole category of, of, of engineering systems. Again, you could follow each one of those and decide, do we know how it should perform, what products go into it, whether they're safe. And, and then the whole issues of means of escape. And so, and I'm seeing work all the time, just on the means of escape issue, FPA has issued a note on, on wayfinding signage this week. You know, so there's work going on all the time. The risk is that it gets dissipated into a blizzard of information that isn't kind of branded as this is the industry's best view of what it takes at every one of these uh, elements of approved document B, and of course the same things would go on for structural safety as well. This is what it takes to demonstrate that we know how to make it safe, uh, and this is what represents a reasonable level of skin and care. You, you, you've touched on, a, you've touched on a, a few of my future questions, but and, and the next one in particular, which, which is really about complexity and and. In, in what you just spoke about, you kind of, to me as an outsider, that would sound very complicated. There's lots of complexity within within the fire industry, whatever the fire industry is. Um, and, and when I was researching kind of which which, which way to go with with some of these questions, that kind of reminded me of the the movie The Matrix. And there's a there's a line in there that says there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path because I'm not even sure we know the path, let alone walking it yet. There's so many disparate bodies involved, different different players, some of them good, some of them um, reputable, but some of them bad actors um, potentially. I don't mean Keanu Reeves in, in, in that bad actor. Um, accepting there's no there's no silver, silver bullet and not even the, the three silver bullets you said before about custody testing and, and standards. How how can we make it less complicated? I, I know I'm I'm doing some work with the fire sector federation, but they've got no resource and 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 maybe the the ear of government and the ear of some other bodies. But 
not, not really any massive influence. How can we bring all of these different parties together to make it less complicated? Uh, I think there's sort of big and small answers to that. Uh, um, uh, to, to counter your matrix quote, uh, there's, a, there's a, I think a Swedish scientist I was very fond of who, who said, there is no problem, however complicated, which when looked at in detail, it doesn't become more complicated still. You know, we, we are always searching for simple solutions to complex problems. But for the most part, that's the province of the charlatan politician. Not, not, you, know, you, you can't suddenly make things simple because people want them to be. So where do we learn? In my sort of big steps through, there are two I omitted because they're not for the industry, I don't think, in the first instance. And the first one is, where is the body of knowledge? Where is the centre of excellence? Whose job is it to assemble this uh, information? And I think it has to be a significant government role because it's a market failure. No individual actor has it in his interests or her interests to collect this knowledge together and disseminate it. And in talking to the department about it, you know, they talk about, oh, well, you know, we're going to have mandatory reporting and so on. Well, that's just more information. We're going to have more data gathered by the regulator. We're going to have data gathered by trading standards, presumably in the field and by the OPSS. We're going to have mandatory reporting. We've got cross reports you know, coming on structural safety. We've got the reports coming from inquiries and, 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 and coroner's reports and so on. Where does it go? And I was astonished to learn, and I think it's right other than in Scotland, that when a fire brigade does a report into the causes and consequences of a fire, that doesn't go anywhere else. You know, in the absence, in the absence of, of there being a fatality and therefore a coroner's report, that information stays within that authority. So there's a huge amount of learning that isn't being gathered. Uh, and the second limb of that is the ability to learn. You know, we do not need to second guess the chairman of the Grandfather Inquiry's current thinking to know that one of the major comments of the report, the final report, is going to be, we do not learn our lessons, you do not learn your lessons. And I think part of the reason for that is there's no way for those lessons to be learned. It's just, there's no centre something. I don't have a, a, a quick solution to who or where that might be. But if we don't find a centre, uh, which might well be uh, you know, dissipated, you know, some people look after bits of it, but in the total, you re represents a valuable body of knowledge. Then I think we're doomed. Uh, and if you go and practice in, uh, in the UAE, you get presented with a 1,400-page guide or regulatory guide on, 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 on making safe buildings. We're not going to do that here, I, I don't think. But that knowledge needs to exist somewhere and be validated and accepted. And I think I put that into my duty of care thing. The more fine grain of simplification, I think, comes in, in the process itself. You know, I, I think there's an unnecessary complexity in the AVCP system uh, as a consequence of it not relating uh, to there being a lack of independence in some parts of it. The less, the less levels of it from, you know, a very light touch uh, or self-performed up to a much higher level don't seem to relate at all to the risks actually taken in the products at that various level. So I would have thought, for example, that the, the highest level of the ABC pieces, which is in which most of the product is independently verified uh, by a conformity assessment body and testing goes down through batch production as well, only applies to 10 products. And they're not, by chance, the things that kill us for the most part. They're, they're cements, for example, which I assume is something to do with their, their vulnerability to changes in manufacturing. But you'd have thought that, you know, that if, if we can make that higher level, 
everything that's really serious and dangerous should go to that high level. You should be required, safety critical, you should be required to follow an independent process. And you certainly should be required to keep reassessing and reconfirming compliance to, this, to the original standards for any product for which batch testing is realistic. Uh, you could simplify the bottom an awful lot by going back to the duty of care. So, you know, what does that add? What does, what does it add to say you must test a product, whether or not you think it's necessary to demonstrate it's safe? You make that judgment as a manufacturer. Uh, you decide when to add testing. You decide when to add testing in, in a, uh, of a batch as part of your duty of care. And then the only things, as I say, which for which there should be a regulatory, permanent regulatory involvement and, and, and intervention should be those things for which the consequences of failure are so serious that it's not enough to say that was a breach. Uh, you know, our life is lost or an injury is suffered in the meantime. So I think, I think there's a lot one could do to simplify the, the process. You, you've touched on the, the European aspects and, and the ABCB, the, the levels of, of, of conformity. The report does does cover that, the, the process of, of compliance and, and uses the UK CA, CA mark as a as an example of where we had an opportunity to to improve things, and perhaps didn't maybe timing of Brexit or the the, the speed that government can deal with with things it, it combine the two together maybe it wasn't ideal but UKCA certainly seems like a, a missed opportunity. We're leaving Europe. We need to address our own issues post Grenfell. And yet, and yet, we didn't seem to grasp it. You mentioned before that we still have a European system, lock, stock, and, and barrel, wart, warts, warts, and all. Bearing in mind, we've now left the European Union, and there are some specific parts. Maybe what you just spoke about with the the uh, safety critical aspects and changing that from the European ABCP levels. How does the how did the review kind of um, have a, a view on the on the U, a, a UK system for compliance versus the the European system for compliance? I think by regarding it as above our pay grade for the most part, <laughs> okay. because one tends not to make a whole package of decisions and say there you go, but actually you know your decisions flow from the decisions that are made before. The report has a section called determining principles, uh, which I think that you know. It's an intellectual approach, but I think that if you don't answer those questions quite early on, and the, and the pro biggest problem with them is the EU one, I'm not sure how you make decisions that follow it. So the first decision is in or out of the, of the EU system, or you know, remain aligned or not. And I'm, I'm fairly agnostic on that, oddly enough. It's not, it's not a sort of pre, pro or anti-Brexit. It's the fact that whichever decision you make has serious consequences. If you decide to stay alive, then we, we take forever the rules that are set by others and we haven't got a, a place at the table. It's not a political point, it's, it's just a fact. If we depart, then we need to recreate the infrastructure that exists in Europe for doing all of those things that are necessary part of the process. We, you know, we, we need our own quality infrastructure, how we set standards to the extent that they're different, different from the designated standard, how we test products, how we accredit people who do the testing, how we check the people who do the accrediting, all, all those layers of standards and so on. We need all of that in place. We, we need the, the kind of bodies that you'd have spent your time on in Europe, you know, the coordinating bodies for the conformity assessment bodies and so on, uh, and for technical assessment bodies. We need that, those recreating here and probably paid for, because again, there's a market failure there. You need to know what marking is for. 
and one of the you know curious interesting amusing i'm not sure which early discussions with the department was what is marking for and the answer well it's for a single market i said yeah but we're not in a single market so what's it for now well that's another question was the answer yeah but it's the question we should be asking so it could be a quality mark it could be a safety mark and by the way quite a lot of latitude to bring in additional safety requirements and still stay aligned with the european rules anyway so I think it'd be great, you know, if 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 the, the, these kind of Great Britain campaigns led on to the fact that our mark means something more valuable than the, than the absence of the mark signified. And I think we missed that chance. Well, I hope we haven't missed it forever. But, you know, because the question about in or out of the EU is so toxic politically, no one's going to answer it. Nobody would answer it. So, so again, I think we need to say as an industry what we would like to happen and how much better the our customers and those who occupy our buildings would be served if we acted in a certain way uh, in, in the way products are launched on the market and handled thereafter and so on let, let, let's take the initiative in setting the, set the rules that would work and then say to government this can only work if you do these things in, in concert where those things will be about addressing market failure which is fundamentally the business of government you mentioned government there, and, and time is against us, so we, we do need to push on. A couple of questions about government, then really quick ones. Are, are there any aspects that, that you think government will shy away from, shouldn't touch? I guess the, the broader question is, what what's next from a government perspective, from 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 the panels, the review panels view? What, what do you want them to do? I want them to respond quickly. In discussions I've had with politicians since the report was published, or at the moment of publication, I've really focused on one thing, which was because I think it's probably not as clear as it should be in the report, because I couldn't start redrafting it all over again. But because I think that you know so much now needs to be done by the industry. We have such a small civil service now, but best to regard there has been nobody there in respect of you know things other than absolutely duties of governments in connection with what they owe to citizens. So. so uh, my fear is that they will delay making any further move, responding to the report. And that in the meantime, the industry will say, well, look what happened to UK CA versus CE marking. You know, some businesses invested in making a big change. And, but those who did, you know, the individuals have lost the credibility in their boardroom. I'm sure people are saying, well, you told us that about UK CA marking. We, all, we spent the money and now it turns out it wasn't necessary. So I have a fear that, you know, although I think the next task is reasonably clear in terms of what safe means, what safe critical means and so on, people will, will might understandably say, well, we're going to wait and see what happens next. Yeah. And here we are, was it two days away from, from the sixth anniversary of Grenfell? And people are rightly you know, demanding to see some action. So they need to at least say, these are the areas in which we are minded to intervene and not intervene that we do or don't like the idea of industry taking the lead on certain things. Will they, uh, what duties will they create, particularly around products? They're, they're, you know, a drug, because the um, House asked for it, uh, House of Commons asked for it, there was, a, was, there was a draft set of regulations for construction products that were taken down almost as soon as they could be. But whilst they were up you know, on the website, they included a general safety requirement and the idea of safety critical. Well, I'm no doubt they'll have to consult, but in principle, will those ideas still be there? Because unless we can be clear about what the duties are going to be, you know, the duties on the Building Safety Act are clear, 
duties under the product regulations are not clear at the moment. Unless we can be clear about that, people could be forgiven for sitting on their hands and waiting. So I'm hoping, you know, and, and as far as I know, officially, you know, we are still due second legislation by October. I mean, it seems highly unlikely, to be honest. Uh, I haven't seen a new date. And as you've heard, you know, Secretary of State's response on, on comment on responding to the report was in due course, you know, which is even longer out than the usual politician's response as soon as possible. I don't know what in, you know, in due course is even longer. It sounds to me like 2024. Do you think they'll wait for the, the, the Grenfell inquiry report before acting on yours? Yes, I think that's a real risk, but I can't see why they should. Because I don't think anything is going to come out of the Grenfell Inquiry. There will be some quite specific and quite prescriptive recommendations, I'm sure. But I don't know how the Inquiry would come up with a better answer to, as to what safe means than the industry could. And if they do, it'll just keep informing it. It's not like we're going to start this job and have it finished by Christmas. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a loose-leaf document, isn't it? You know, the, the, the kind of manual for duty of care is going to be a loose-leaf document, which will build and build and build. So you know, if we look and we start on the process of where the risks are, you know, the risks seem to be in compartmentation. If you can believe the, re the reviews done, 78% of all fire doors are capable of being safe when they arrive on site, but are installed in a way that leaves them unsafe. You, know, you can quite, quite quickly see what the priorities are. I don't think an inquiry is going to tell you how to install a fire door safely, you know, and what the processes should be and what the checking process should be and so on. They might tell you what Absolutely there should not. be a clear duty of that. They might tell you it should be a criminal duty or regulatory duty or a civil duty, but they're not going to tell us, you know, how to keep a building safe. There may be some very specific recommendations about testing process. The scientists will know to have their say, but no, I think I don't think we should wait. I've um, I've got Dame Judith's words ringing in my ears over a number of times when I've I've heard her speak, basically saying, "Don't wait for government to regulate for this industry. You you get on and and do it." I'm going to slip in another line from the Matrix here. It says, "I can only show you the door. You're the one who has to walk through it." And I think honestly, um, the way I see your report, you're showing us the door or multiple doors. Now industry or government or both probably need to get get on and, and walk through it and not f fudge the whole issue and ignore it and ignore it, ignore it. I think you basically just said nothing's going to change now with with your report. It's not we're not going to learn anything new. There's some very, very good recommendations in there. Let's get on and implement them. I'm sure there's some that they won't. You asked me which ones are unlikely. I mean, I think it's unlikely they'll introduce the idea of, of, of um, having licensed contractors for higher risk building. But, but you know, that isn't, by the way, just that, oh, why don't we license them? It, it, it's of the two ways ahead. We can either start having approval schemes, you know, accreditation certification schemes from the bottom up for every bit of a building. Or you can say the approval is we approve you to build a safe building and, and, and you rely upon tier one contractors to pull good behaviours right through their supply chain. So I think there are things, things that they won't do. I think the one thing I'm confident of is Remembering that when I went into Whitehall, a friend said to me, the number one business of politics is politics. Don't forget that, Paul. I don't think the politics of building regulations are, are terribly detailed, but I can't imagine anybody wanting to say six years into the Grenfell experience and years into the inquiry, we've had a look at all of this and we've decided that what needs to happen is not much or nothing at all. That's not going to happen. It's not a politically solvable situation. So something's going to happen. But there needs to be consultation. 
But I think we need to take the initiative, we, the industry, is to take the initiative about those things that just have to do with how we make buildings safe. Okay, simple. Well, I don't know why you needed all those hundreds simple. of pages to, to say, say that. Finally, Paul, anything that, that I've missed, any point that you wanted to get across that I didn't? We could, we could talk all day on this, but, but um, anything I didn't ask that you wanted to get across? No, I don't think so. I think the question is, you know, I have a friend who, when ever you say something should be done, he said, well, who do you think is going to do that and why should they? So because I think the industry needs to do a lot, you get the obvious question is, who is the industry? And I've been long enough in it to know there's almost no such thing you know, it's such a massively diverse thing but i do think the construction leadership council is the nearest thing we've got to a body that could bring this together and, and my my plea to them really is that they can't do a lot of work because they haven't got a resource either but what they can do is badge stuff they can say this is the conversation we're interested in this is the one we're listening to and if you if you want to get involved get involved in that conversation we need to break out of the industry's habit of solving 30% of the problem competitively, usually the same 30% and sometimes with differing answers, uh, and start yeah. to produce something where the whole industry can say, you know, if that's the best thing we've got to say on the safe installation of a fire door, let's follow that until we can improve on it. But you know, the, the big questions are questions which, not just that we can answer, a lot of it's been answered already, but it's not, it's not there together. So I'm not looking for the 1,400-page UAE guide. But just in principle, do we know? As I say, I, I mean, the, the, the FPAs work on signposting. That'll, that'll, I'll put that in the box until someone says to me, we've got something better to say about safe signage. It'll do. We've addressed it. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you for the plug, uh, of the, the, the signage stuff. Um, Paul, fascinating as always. I always enjoy spending time with you. So um, thank you very much. Hope to, uh, hope to see you very soon. Okay, thank you for showing me the door. Thank you for listening to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast. For previous episodes or more guidance and resources on reducing the risks of fire, please visit thefpa.co.uk. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future episodes. And if there is a topic you would like to hear discussed, please get in touch.